You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Why don't you come to me in the word? Come with me in the word this morning to Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter eight. Luke's Gospel, chapter eight. Luke's got. Uh, oh, start again. Luke's Gospel, chapter eight, verse twenty-two. This story says, it says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Verse 25, Jesus says, Where is your faith? In fear and amazement, they ask one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Yeah, the Two things I want to pull from this passage as we start to get moving this morning. That opening verse there, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. If you have been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you would know now that simply following Jesus will lead us into stormy weather. The disciples had done nothing wrong. From what we could tell from this story, there was no sin in their life. There was that they hadn't um, had their, their quiet time that morning, but simply following Jesus. Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. And for no fault of their own, they ended up in the midst of this swirling storm. And I think it's so easy for us to just gloss over Things like this in the Word, when we've got to think about this, the disciples that were in that boat with Jesus in the middle of this storm were seasoned fishermen. We're not talking about being out on Lake Macquarie and there's a, there's, there's a little, little um, gust of wind and some waves and you're feeling a bit seasick. We're talking about a squall. We're talking about a serious storm here. But they simply found themselves in the middle of this storm because they had followed Jesus. As Christians, we will walk through storms. We will find ourselves in the middle of storms simply by following Jesus. But at the end of that verse, after Jesus had quietened the storm, what what he says to the disciples, I find very interesting. It's not something where Jesus turns around and goes, oh, you bunch of idiots. Don't you get it yet? He doesn't even say to them, Why don't you have any faith? But he looks at the disciples and he says, where is your faith? This isn't a question of why don't you have any or why do you only have a teensy weensy little bit of faith? But it's a question of location. It's a question of location. Jesus is asking, where is your faith? And I wonder, I wonder whether these seasoned fishermen, look, and I know not all the disciples were seasoned fishermen, but I think there would have been enough of them on that boat to have been able to control that boat. 
But I wonder, I would pose the thought that I wonder if these men, the disciples, their faith was in their own ability to navigate the storm. Their confidence was in their own gifting. Their confidence was in the years and years of training that they'd received, the the different situations that they'd found themselves in. Just maybe that's where their faith was located. But Jesus was asking, guys, where's your faith? Where is it? I think for many of us, we could ask the same question. Where? is your faith. As we come back to chapters in Luke's gospel, back into Luke chapter 6, we read another story that contains a storm. It's one of the parables that Jesus told, and it's starting from verse 46 in Luke 6. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck and that house could not... When a flood came, the torrent struck, that house could not... It struck that house... Hang on a minute, what's going on here? Can I borrow your glasses, John? Did you get them fixed this week? (laughs) Ah, They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. As I said before, this story in Luke 6 is a, is a parable. It's a, it's a short story that Jesus told to illustrate a point. You know, it, it's important as well that, that we don't just read a chunk of text and think, oh, okay, why do you call me Lord and... and Don't do what I say. Look, when we think about the context of this scripture, this story that we read about is found in two places in the gospel. It's also found in Matthew chapter 7. But both stories are found at the end of a time when when Jesus is sitting and teaching. It's actually the final part of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has gone through and, and, and he's talking about loving your enemies and not judging others and with the measure you use it, like we heard from um, Pastor Marty this morning out of Luke 6 as well. But it's, it's so important for us to understand the context. But this story that we're, we're reading, there are so many similarities in this story. When you think about it and we go through it, this story, in this story, there are two men. In this story, there are two men. The story tells us about two men who, who built a house. Two men who built a house. And when we talk about a parable, it, it's, it illustrates something. And, and they're not building a, a, a real house, but it's symbolic of a life. Jesus is talking about when you build your life, when you come to me and, and you hear my word and, and you put it into practice, it, it's about building your life. It's not about building a house as such. 
but it's building a life. These two guys, they both come to Jesus. They both hear his word. They both build a house. The Bible then says that both houses, both men faced a storm. Verse 48 says, when a flood came. It's given that there's going to be a flood. It's given that there's going to be a storm. It's given that we're going to face challenges and tough times and chaotic moments when a flood came. Not if a flood came, but when. It's always a case of when. But the difference between these two men was the foundation on which they built the house. The difference as to whether these houses stood was based on what the house was built on. The house that remained. The house that remained. I think I might have heard that word recently. I think it might be in the word somewhere. But the house that remained, remained because of the foundation that it was built on. I want to ask you this morning, what is the foundation you are building the house of your life on? And is that foundation setting you up to remain? What's the foundation that you're building the house of your life on? And is that foundation setting you up to remain? To stand in the midst of trial, to stand in the midst of storm. Father, this morning, in the few moments that we have to open your word, I pray like Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would flood this place. Father, I pray that you would open our ears, you would open our hearts. Father, I pray that the things that I say would fall to the ground, but the things that you want to say, the things that you want to speak this morning into people's hearts, I pray would be spoken. Father, I don't, I don't want to miss out this morning either. God, as I've prepared this message, it's spoken deeply into my own heart, but God, don't stop speaking to my heart. God, I want to know more. I want to learn more. I, I, I want to be more like you this morning, just like everybody else who is here this morning. I pray you'd open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a couple of weeks ago, when, um, when I last spoke, we talked about how the Christian faith is not about what I do. But the Christian faith is about what's already been done for me. That it's all about what's been done for me. That it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's not about what I do, that when I come to, when I come to Christ and, and, and have an encounter with Him, that, that it's about, I've got to make sure that I've got to clean my life up. I've, I've got to give myself a good bath before I can come to Jesus. But it's about what Jesus did on the cross for me. It's about what Jesus did on the cross for us that gives us right standing, that makes us righteous before God, that, that gives us salvation. Like in 1 Corinthians 1, at the end of that chapter there, Paul writes, he said, um, Christ who has become our righteousness, Christ who has become our redemption, Christ who has become our ransom. That it's not about what I do, but it's about me responding to what has already been done for me. 
I'm so glad this morning that we can confidently come before God and worship Him. We don't have to kill a bull or 20 or a bunch of sheep or anything like that and have all... Can you imagine Perry comes in tomorrow morning to clean the building and the foyers are filled with cow's blood? I don't think Perry would be overly impressed by that. But God wouldn't be impressed by that either because he's already made a way. But I wonder how how many times do we come into church on a Sunday morning and in our minds we're sacrificing bulls. In our minds we're sacrificing sheep and trying to make ourselves pleasing to come into God's presence. But God's already done it for us. God has already done it for us. In my connect group on Friday, just gone, we had a conversation that the Christian faith is really the only faith, the only faith I'm aware of, where we come into something that's already been done, that has already been finished. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. He didn't just do a half work on the cross. And that the best version of me, the best version of me that I can ever possibly muster up still falls so short of God and is still in so much need of a saviour. But that when we take that step from darkness into light, when we take that step, like it says in 1 Peter 2, it says you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, that you've been called to declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. When we take that step, I think so much for, for, for many of us, we take that step and we realize, you know, It's not about what I've done, but it's about what Jesus has done for me. But once that's done, what's the goal? Sadly, I think so many people who respond to the gospel stop at the point of receiving Christ. Simply stop at the point at receiving Christ. But God's objective for us is not to create a better us. It's not to create a better me than my former self. It's not to create me as a, as a better person, but it's to be conformed and transformed into the image of Christ. But sadly, so many of us, myself included, we think that Jesus has saved us and he has redeemed us, but that the rest is up to me that the rest is up to us. But why on earth would the God that we praise, the God that we worship, the good, good Father that He is, do everything for us to be saved and then pat us on the back, send us on our way and say, you go and do the rest. That's not, that's not the God that we serve. But so often we can believe the lie that it's all up to us now. But this isn't a new problem. In Galatians 3, Paul writes to the Galatians church, and this is the the message translation. It just reads so well. It says, let me put this question to you. This is Paul speaking to the Galatians. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? 
Are you going to continue this craziness? Don't you love Eugene Peterson? He just puts it in such a real way. Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people, cray cray people, for only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, I'll put myself in that category. I'm definitely not smart enough. I'm definitely not, hey, I'm definitely not smart enough. I dropped out of uni twice. Some people drop out of uni once, but I'm in the category of people who dropped out twice. So I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough to make it on my own. You weren't smart enough or strong enough. I'm definitely not strong enough. I'm definitely not strong enough. And I don't think I'm the only one. To begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Verse 4, did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? Don't you love it how Paul puts it there to the Galatian? The Galatian church found themselves in a very similar situation where they had been saved by grace, but fell into the trap of trying to work out the rest of it all for themselves. But that's not what God intends for us. But grace and effort can cohabitate. But our effort comes from a place of already being made whole, already being made right, and already being justified. But we've got to know where to focus that effort. Does it sound familiar? Is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the outworking of the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. The, the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind, is a byproduct of the fruit of the Spirit flowing through our life. But that the fruit of the Spirit flowing through our life is also a byproduct of us remaining connected to the vine, remaining in Christ like Jesus talks about in John 15. But how? How do we remain in Christ? When I finished my message two weeks ago, I've just been thinking about that. And I think it's so easy for us to just go, oh yeah, remain in Christ. But I think there would be more than a handful of people this morning who would have been here a couple of weeks ago who would have thought, but how do I do that? How can I focus my energy? How can I focus my attention into remaining in Christ? And I believe a key component to remaining in Christ is ensuring that we're building our life on the right foundation. Because for us to remain in Christ, we have to build our lives on Christ. For us to remain in Christ, we need to build our lives on Christ. You see, in Luke 6, I think it's so easy for us to look at this passage and think the house that stood just got lucky. I think it can be so easy for us to, to read that and in the middle of this storm, oh well, one house went down and the other stood up. Well, I guess lucky. It was an accident. It was an accident. 
But us remaining in Christ ain't no accident. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen without intention. It doesn't happen without building our lives intentionally. You know, we can look at different people's lives that are in our, in our circles and, and sort of think, oh, well, no, they must just have this internal strength that they were given to be able to stand in the middle of the storm. Maybe they're lucky. Maybe they're blessed. Maybe God gave them something that he didn't give me. It's not true. Because we all have an opportunity to build on the right foundation. You see, Jesus did everything he could on the cross for us. There is not one more thing that he could have done for us. He's made a way for us to accept that grace. But it's now up to us to build our lives on him. Jesus can't build our lives on him for us. That's something that we need to do. And that's where we can focus our effort. You know, the key to the house remaining was the foundation on which the house was built. There are so many things. There's so many things that we can build our life on. So many things. I've had so many conversations with people and been able to identify very quickly what it is they're trying to build their life on. We can try and build our life on relationships. Try and build it on marriage or a relationship with our kids or, or friendships or, or key people in our lives. We can try and build our life on our career. We can try and build our life on material things. That my life's strong, the foundation of my life is in my possessions. We can try and build our life on our wealth. The things that we have, we can build it on money. Our confidence can be in monetary things because, well, if anything goes wrong, I've got enough money. If anything goes wrong, I'll, I'll, I'll just pay for it. There are other things that we can build our lives on and they're not as obvious, but we can build our lives on, on what people think about us. Some of, these, some of these things are less obvious. What people think about us. We can build our life on other people's opinions. How someone else thinks I should build my life. Maybe you've got really overbearing parents that have told you, this is how you build your life. This is how you do it. Maybe you've got friends who are leading you down the wrong path. Maybe you're building your life on self-confidence, self-confidence in your own giftings, abilities, and talents. Or maybe you're someone who's building your life on fear. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you're building your life on past hurt and past pain. Maybe you're building your life on shame. Maybe you're building your life on past failure. Look, I, I stuffed it up and I, I made some really big mistakes years ago and I just haven't been able to bounce back from them. But we're build, we, can, we can fall into the trap of building our life on our past failures. For me, and as I was thinking about the things that I can be tempted to build my life on, I can be so tempted to build my life on my own self-confidence. I got this. 
I can do this. I can do this. Enough resolve, enough steel. I can do this. I can rely on my own strength. I can rely on my own ability. I, I can rely on my own gifting and my own talent. And I can begin to build my life. But I've found time and time again in my life when I rely on my own strength, when I rely on my own abilities and giftings, it's a house that just crumbles. It's a house that doesn't stand. Another thing that I'm tempted to build my life on, if I can be honest with you this morning, I've talked about this before, but it's comparison. I can try and build my life and I can be susceptible to building my life according to how I'm seeing someone else build theirs. There's something must be wrong with my life because mine hasn't turned out the way that, that, that theirs has. And I can fall into the trap of comparing. But in the Word, it tells us that they, those who compare themselves are unwise. I don't know if there, there would be so many other things that we could so easily, even without even knowing, fall into the trap of building our life on, but we remain in what we build the foundation of our life on. We remain in what we build the foundation of our life on. So if we are building our life on fear, we remain in fear. If we build our life on our self-confidence, we remain in our self-confidence. If we build our life on our marriage or relationships or our career or our wealth, that is what we remain in. But the Bible tells us to remain in me, remain in Jesus, and we'll be fruitful. Isaiah 28 verse 16 says, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. The New Living Translation puts it like this. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It's a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never, needs never be shaken. I don't know about you, but I, I want to build my life on a sure foundation. I want to build my life on a firm and tested stone. But this verse here, it talks about the cornerstone. The cornerstone that this verse is talking about is Jesus. Even though it's in the book of Isaiah, it's speaking about Jesus. This precious cornerstone, this firm, sure foundation is talking about Jesus. And when we talk about cornerstones, it's the first stone that is laid that everything else is aligned to and everything else is built from. I love skyscrapers. I love big buildings. And I'm fascinated by 
the Empire State Building, fascinated by the World Trade Centers, obviously before they were no longer. But the Freedom Tower, when you think about the Freedom Tower, this giant skyscraper that's been built in Lower Manhattan. I was reading about it last night. The foundation on that building is 70 feet deep. And there was a 20-ton cornerstone that was laid deep down in that foundation that they then built this monstrosity of a building from. But it was about building and being aligned to the cornerstone. But you see, God doesn't want an extension built on Jesus. God doesn't want an extension. God doesn't want us to walk out of here this morning and try and build an extension on Jesus. He wants to rebuild our whole house on him. Don't walk away this morning thinking, I'll just build another part and that'll be the Jesus part. The worst thing that I think we can do as Christians is compartmentalize God in our lives. God does not want to be compartmentalized. He doesn't want to just be the God that we come and and visit on a Sunday for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. He doesn't want to just be number one on a list of tick box priorities where it's like, okay, I've gotten up early. I've had my 15 minutes with Jesus and now I'm right. And we don't think about him until the next day. That's not how God wants us to live our life. He wants us to reorientate our whole life around him. God doesn't want it to be on our list of priorities. God first, then my marriage, then my family, then my career, then everything else that comes through. But God wants to be the centre. He wants to be the centre of your marriage. He wants to be the centre of your relationships. He wants to be the centre of your career. He wants to be the centre of your dreams and your goals and your passion. He wants to be the centre of your pursuits. He wants to be the centre of our focus. That's what he wants. But so often we can compartmentalize God. Is it your weekend visit, your weekend activity, or is it your daily priority? Is it your daily priority? And I'm not talking about a tick box that we just walk out and forget about him for the rest of the day. That is not remaining in Christ. But remaining in Christ isn't just sitting at home all day, reading my Bible and being no use to anyone or anything because I'm just sitting at home and reading the Word. But it's about taking Jesus to work. It's about taking Jesus into my marriage. It's about taking Jesus into my career and into my study and into my pursuits and letting Him be the center, letting Him be the foundation. But this um, passage in Luke 6, verse 47, gives us some keys about what it looks like to remain in Christ. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. I see in that verse some very 
key components. I love how Jesus, when he opens that part, he says, everyone, everyone who comes to me. This isn't just about a select few. It's not about whether you've been raised in a Christian home. It doesn't matter about whether your past may, may, may qualify you because we know that we're not qualified by our past, but, why, but by what Jesus has done for us. It's not about my mistakes, but Jesus makes it very clear. Everyone, that includes all of us, everyone who comes to me, who hears my word, And puts it into practice. If you're taking notes, I I see four key components. Everyone comes to me, hears my word, puts it into practice. When we're looking to build our life on the sure foundation that is Christ, it's for everyone. But the onus is on me. The onus is on us to come to him. You know, Jesus has already come to us. He's already come as far as he can come. He made a way. But it's now up to me. If I could define the Christian life, the Christian journey in one word, it would be the word response. My response to what has already been done for me. My response to what Jesus did on the cross. Who comes to me. Here's my, here's my word and puts it into practice. But you see, the key, I believe, is in the order. I think so many Christians, so many of us do the everyone part. And then we do the hear the word part and put into practice. And we skip the come to me. Because the come to me is the most key element in this whole journey. These four things, the key, you see, the key is in the the order. The key is in the order. God doesn't want us to have had an encounter with Jesus to open his word and try and live it out. But it's a process. It's a process of coming to him. Maybe you're here this morning and the only thing that you need to work on right now in the middle of that. That sequence is coming to Jesus. Is creating time, is creating space to be able to spend with Him. I'm not suggesting for a moment you walk out of here and you try and spend an hour with God this afternoon. Because if you've never done it, it's going to be hard. And you'll get discouraged. You'll get despondent. And you won't want to do it again. But if we set ourselves some small goals, maybe determine in your heart, God, I'm going to start by giving you 10 minutes. I'm going to focus my time. I'm going to focus my effort and my energy into just quietening my spirit and sitting in your presence. Coming to me, quietening my spirit and sitting in your presence. Maybe I'm going to set an alarm and a reminder on my phone till it's ingrained into my mind. A reminder that simply says, stop and wait on God. It might be a reminder throughout the day that is just 60 seconds. 
You might think, well, what's 60 seconds going to do? If you're not doing anything, it's a heck of a good start. You mean I've got to set a reminder to remind myself about God? Whatever you've got to do to get it going is what you've got to do. But I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do. If you don't know how to pray, there was a real good message preached from this platform only a few weeks ago on the Lord's Prayer structure. If you are thinking about how to pray, you need to get that message. You need to get that. It's on podcast. It'll be available downstairs on CD. But get it and work your way through it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We haven't even got to us yet. But it's a great framework. Maybe that's where you need to be. Maybe your first step is putting the effort into to centering God in your life. Hearing the word. There's so many voices vying for our attention. So many voices vying for our attention. Whatever you got to do, get the word in you. Whether you listen to it, whether you put something on your lock. I've got a verse that sits on the lock screen on my phone. It's a, every now and again, I'll change it. But it's a verse that's speaking to me in the moment. I did a drive to Sydney yesterday and I just... I just had a few messages I wanted to listen to and hear. It's taking those moments to fill our minds with the right thing. Puts them into practice. The actual application or use of an idea, belief or method as opposed to theories relating to it. A church who loves the Bible doesn't just have a whole bunch of theories about the word of God but puts them into practice. As I just bring this to a close, the team can come. Are we simply underlining scriptures in, the, in our Bible? Are we simply underlining scriptures or letting the scriptures underpin everything in our lives? I don't underline my Bible. I don't underline it because every time I read it, I want to see it with fresh eyes. I don't want my eyes to be drawn to all the underlines in my Bible. I want to read it fresh and I want to read it intentionally and I want to read it purposefully. And I want it to speak to me fresh every time. But it's about getting that word into us. But you know, I don't even want us to look at hearing the word and obeying it and walking it out. When it comes to the obvious things, forgiving others, not judging others, walking in love. But maybe for you, walking out the word, hearing the word and putting it into practice, maybe for you, your identity is so off point. Your identity in Christ is so skewed, is so blurred. And maybe for you, outworking, putting into practice the word that you've heard, maybe for you, it's believing and walking in, I am His workmanship. I've been created in Christ for good works. 
that he will bring to completion the work that he has done within me. That I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That I am loved, I am valued, and I am accepted. Maybe that's how you need to put it into practice. But wherever you find yourself, I think each one of us can either fit into the category of coming to Him, getting the Word into us, or maybe you're a, I don't know, it's really not a great term, but a seasoned Christian. You've read the Bible cover to cover eight times. Maybe for you, it's actually putting into application the things that you're reading. That's how we build a foundation on Jesus. And what we build on is what we remain in. What we build on is what we remain in. James 1. This can go now, guys. Thank you. James 1 verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever, whoever, everyone, whoever looks intently, intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. Another component to that story in Luke 6. The guy that built his foundation on rock, it says he dug down deep. He dug down deep. And when you're digging deep, it's going to take a lot of energy. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of effort. But it's an effort that's worth it to dig deep and to lay those foundations. You don't want to wait for a storm. You don't want to wait for for chaos or, or a situation to arise where you think, where are my foundations? The storm identifies whether we've been building foundations or whether we've been coasting. But it's never too late to try and lay the foundation of your life upon Jesus. But it's going to take people who dig down deep. I'm not built for manual labour. I am not built for manual labour. When I left school, my mum said to me, Joel, Joel, make sure you get a job where you use your mind and not your hands. That's what my mother said to me. And it's very, very true. I'm not good at manual. I use a hammer for 30 seconds and I've got blisters. My toolbox consists of one hammer, one screwdriver and three tape measures. Because every time I need a tape measure, I forget I've got one and I go and buy another one. But it takes effort to dig down deep. And that's why it says in James 1, whoever looks intently into the perfect law and continues in it. 
and continues in it. It's a continuing. But if we want to remain in Christ, the first step is to build some firm foundations on Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? Father, I thank you that your invitation is to everyone and it's for everyone to come to you. And we can come to you because you've already come to us. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Father, I pray this morning for each one of us. Father, that you would help us. Help us to orient our lives around you. To center our lives around you. Not to try and compartmentalize you into our life, but to orient our life around you. Help us to dig deep. And to give us and give us the strength to keep going. Father, I, I thank you that even what you said in that story, come to me, hear the word, put it into practice, is not even something we have to do on our own. But your word tells us that you sent the Holy Spirit. You identified the Holy Spirit as the helper. And Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is longing to help us longing to help us walk in your ways, longing to help us dig deep, longing to help us lay our foundations on rock, longing to help see Christ formed more within us. Father, I pray that you would help us to rely more and more on the Holy Spirit to do the work in us as we come to you. God, I pray for each person that there would be an injection of passion and energy and life into their personal relationship with you. Where there needs to be adjustments and tweaks, I pray that you would identify in each person's heart what that looks like. It's not a one size fits all, but identify in each heart, I pray.